I had two green cigar boxes. I used one of them as a coffin. When the long, hot days of summer began to dwindle, we dug a hole by the stop sign on Corner Street, put our popsicle sticks in the green box, and buried it, making sure to pack the dirt with care. I never much cared for the popsicles, but I liked the sticks because I liked dreams. We used the leftover popsicle sticks to make wishbones, Sarah and I. We glued them together in the shape of a V and then pulled. When it was the glue that broke, we both got even halves, and it meant that we could both make a wish. I never really wished for anything, but she'd always wish for us to be friends forever. I know this because she told me. Maybe you shouldn't tell me what you wish for. It might not come true, I said. Why? Sarah asked. Well, I said, have you heard the tale of the wishmonger? No, she said. Tell me. We plopped down in the beanbags by the window in my room and let the lengthening afternoon shadows stretch over our bodies. The leaves had just started to change colors, and as a particularly ripe leaf fell from the apple tree across the yard and floated to the ground like a crimson pirate ship rocking calmly to and fro across the sea, I began the tale of the wishmonger. Once there was a girl who didn't believe in magic. Whenever she introduced herself, she said, My name is Patricia, how do you do? And before you ask, I don't believe in magic, and don't ask me why. Of course, this was a dangling truffle for the curious mind, and for those folks whose curiosity cannot be contained, such an answer was not enough. After all, weren't there a million kinds of magic? Weren't there magics that don't have a thing to do with wands and fairies and brightly colored spells shooting across the sky? Even so, Patricia held fast to her belief, and for good reason, for she was the victim of a spell, and part of the spell cursed her with a total and unbending disbelief in the possibility of magic. So overwhelming was her disbelief that she would compulsively utter mantra-like phrases under her breath. Magic is a fool's errand. Magic is a billion times more fictitious than the Loch Ness Monster. Magic is not real. But the thing about magic is that it's real regardless of whether or not you believe in it. She was cursed, and its magic wrapped her body like the arms of a giant invisible squid. Every time she was about to feel satisfaction, those tentacles constricted applying pressure to her most sensitive organs. There was pain in her liver, ache in her heart, and a burning in her kidneys. It was her stomach, though, that got the brunt of it. There was hunger, constant and unending, a special sort of hunger that whispered hopeless nothings to her mind and gave eternal fatigue to her body. In fact, she often whispered her mantra simply to distract herself from this debilitating hunger. She ate and ate until food piled up from her stomach, filling her esophagus, overflowing into her mouth. And even then, 
The hunger compelled her to re-swallow those sacrificed and mangled scraps. Understandably, Patricia spent a good deal of time on and around the toilet. But then one day on her twelfth birthday, she ate a slice of cake. Of her own birthday cake, to be more specific. It was soft and moist and recoiled slowly when poked. The frosting was buttercream. It was a special birthday, not because of her age, but because it marked the first time she had ever been allowed to eat cake. Her parents were strict with sugar consumption, and cake was, according to her mother, the devil incarnate. However, Patricia's mother loved her, and it had been many years since Patricia had felt joy, and perhaps a slice of cake would make all the difference. The candles flickered in the dark, lighting up the faces of her mother, her father, and two friends, who were actually more just neighbors than friends. Susie and Carla had both been invited by her parents. They didn't really enjoy Patricia's company or her strange mumbling, but they responded well to the promise of cake. Make a wish, darling, her mother said. Patricia, barely able to control her ravenous hunger, wished for something that could make her torturous existence a little less torturous. She blew out the candles, and not waiting for her father to cut the cake, she buried her hand into its depths and ripped a chunk from the center. It was delicious, intoxicatingly so, the buttercream frosting lubricating the back of her throat as bite after bite slid down into her tummy. One piece, two pieces, three pieces, and oh my God, she felt full. It was an entirely new feeling, at once beautiful, and while the only word for it was satisfying, it was truly wonderful. How had she made it so long without this feeling? For the first time, she just wasn't hungry anymore. It must be the cake, she thought. Maybe I'm just a cake person. Lots of parents are fruit and vegetable people, but I'm not. I'm a cake person. The next day she went to the grocery store and bought a slice of cake after school, but this time she didn't get that new beautiful feeling. It only made her hungrier. It wasn't until she was invited to Susie's birthday party that she experienced that beautiful feeling of satisfaction for the second time. It was an entirely different cake from her own, chocolate with raspberries littered over the top, but after just one bite, she knew it had the same effect as her own birthday cake. The question then became, how was birthday cake different from normal cake? It can't have been the quality, for Susie's cake came in a cheap cardboard box and had been wrapped in plastic. Clearly, it was store-bought, and not very expensive. Was it birthday cheer? No, that's not a real thing, she thought. Was it the candles? No, she didn't eat the candles. Then, suddenly, she knew. She had it. It was, it must be, the wish. Susie had closed her eyes and made a wish, just like she had. 
Perhaps the cake somehow absorbed the wish, and when she ate it, she absorbed a bit of the wish too. Renewed and with a purpose, Patricia sought out potential friend candidates so that she could earn invitations to as many birthday parties as possible. She did nice things for all sorts of people, even adults, for didn't adults have birthday parties too? She took the blame when other kids passed notes in class. She offered to do the dishes when she went to Carla's house one afternoon. She wrote beautiful hand-decorated non-anonymous notes to the other kids in her class. She gave one boy her last cookie at lunch. And it was all in the name of gaining access to cake. Her efforts paid off. The other kids began to like her. They invited her to their birthday parties. Sure, it was sometimes at their parents' request, but that didn't matter. As long as she could eat those wish-infused slices of cake, all was well with the world. Some kids were too quick to blow out the candles, too eager for the cake, and therefore not as committed to the wish. Those cakes, the ones with weak wishes, were not nearly as delicious. But some kids took their time. All the friends licking their lips, eager to dive in and taste the buttery smoothness. And yes, Patricia was eager too, but she reveled in each second the child took to make their wish because each microsecond of dedication fattened up the wish like a chicken pumped full of growth hormone, and when the candles were blown and the fat chicken settled into the cake with those tiny flecks of blown spit, then and only then was her need to consume the cake all-powerful. She was never the second child in line. No, that would be unacceptable. She was always the first, always standing near whichever parent held the cake shovel, sometimes so close that the parent would run into her, give her an odd look, and then awkwardly apologize, to which Patricia said, oh, don't worry about it, before the parent could even finish the apology. And then, even after the entire cake had been eaten, after all the kids had eaten their seconds, and Patricia, with a little bit of sneaky timing, had eaten her thirds or fourths, She'd swipe the serving tray, hide in the bathroom and lick it clean, just to make sure there wasn't a hint of wish left. And wow, was it satisfying. She'd lie on the ground in a daze of pleasure, savoring every last bit of wish cake as it swished around her digestive tract. It filled the void, but only for a time. Soon, she'd need more, and when there were no birthdays that week, She'd suffer. She thought to herself, there has to be more. There has to be a way to find a greater level of satisfaction. And fortunately, there was. Prayers were even tastier than wishes. Her parents prayed every night. While they knelt in their bedrooms, minds attuned to the heavens, knees to the floor, elbows upright on the bed, hands clasped, Patricia laid on her belly, lips pursed and shoved in the crack beneath the door like she was trying to grab a stray crumb on the other side. And the prayers, she saw them, wisping above her parents as they briefly floated skyward and then abruptly switched directions like a hijacked aircraft and flew toward her lips with ungodly fervor. 
Had the prayers been able to feel, they would have felt like they were being sucked into a jet engine. Patricia was able to feel, of course, and to her, it felt wonderful. She was a newly unpackaged balloon that had waited years on the shelf, trapped behind cheap plastic and brightly colored cardboard, and now, finally, was being filled with air. She was a rectangle of canvas, freed from the attic in which it dwelt for 30 years, that was being prepared by a master and would soon become a great work of art. She was a child being born. And this time, she was a fair bit more than just satisfied. Vigor filled her body. It became very clear that she had been dead or perhaps unborn until that very moment. Patricia leapt into the air, her eyes opened so wide that the sockets were barely able to contain them, and giggling with glee, she inhaled once, this time taking in the prayers of everyone within a ten-mile radius. Light poured from her ear canals, and then from her nostrils, and then from her belly button, and then even from the pores in her skin. She inhaled again, taking the prayers of her entire country, and again and again and again, the world was swallowed by Patricia, all hopes and dreams and plans for the future, wishes and prayers gone just like that. The people of our planet, and maybe even all life forms in our universe, were sullen-eyed husks who no longer understood that future was a word used to describe the period of time that was after the present. But Patricia understood. She had it all, sitting there in her glowing, swollen belly. The aspirations of existence were hers. Sarah looked at me then, confused, and asked, So then why do I have hopes and dreams right now? What happened? Well, I said, I haven't finished the story. You see, there was only one bathroom in Patricia's home, and it was downstairs. Her mother, empty of her hopes and dreams, was still a slave to her bodily needs. She opened the door to her bedroom to go to the bathroom. The bedroom door swung open and smacked Patricia right in the belly. It was a hard hit that knocked the wind out of her, and also knocked everything else out, too. A great torrent of existential energy lit up the world for a brief second. This all took place in a country called Zaharia, which you've probably never heard of because it doesn't exist anymore. The entire country exploded. The only thing that remained was a fine rubble that we now call sand. What was once Zaharia is now the Sahara Desert. But legend has it that Patricia the Wishmonger survived the destruction and still wanders through the Sahara in a daze, looking half-heartedly for the hopes and dreams she once held in her belly. When we share our wishes with the world, when we make them public, the wishmonger lifts her head and catching a slight whiff of what she once had, inhales deeply. Each time we tell our friends what we wish for, the wishmonger turns in our direction and breathes in, snatching it from the air.
What about this wishbone? Sarah said. Doesn't it protect the wish inside? I don't know, I said, but maybe we should bury it just in case. I had two green cigar boxes. I put the popsicle sticks in one of them. We held a funeral and said our prayers. Well, my friend said them. I just watched and pretended to be stoic. I was in charge of our little ceremony and people in charge aren't supposed to cry. We buried the green box, said our goodbyes and left. It was one of the last days of summer and by the time the sun had set and the sky became a bluish gradient, the air was quite chilly. See you tomorrow at school, Sarah said, skipping down the sidewalk. I had two green cigar boxes. I pulled the box we had not buried from my backpack, slid open the lid, and revealed two popsicle sticks, each one with a spot of dried and broken glue on the end. I didn't want Sarah to tell me her wish. I liked her. I really did. I held the box up to my nose and unable to fight temptation, inhaled deeply. <laughs>